It is, as always, good to see you all. So I was here just two weeks ago, and I, as I recall, was busy assuring you that it's possible to find hope <laughs> in the world. And um, about a week ago, Jill was still waiting for my sermon title for this week. And I was thinking, and I was busy because I was out of town having fun with some friends I hadn't seen in 40 years, and that was wonderful. That was really wonderful. And then Monday morning, my intention was to wake up bright and early and have a sermon title. It didn't come. And by noon, I had the news of a shooting in Nashville, not terribly far from where I live, in a place I know, in a place I drive by often, in a place where my children have played, and a place where I, I knew somebody who was in the building from years ago, but still, it was somebody, it's a human being that I loved and admired and for a few minutes didn't know, didn't know. And then Monday unfolded and Tuesday and, and so on. And I think by Wednesday, I said, Jill, <laughs> so when hope fails, and then I was like, okay, what's the rest of this? So what we're going to do, when hope fails, is wonder something we can turn toward? That's what I'm, I'm wondering right now. And I don't mean um, wonderful. I don't mean what a wonderful life. Um, I mean, actually, wonder for me in this context goes in two directions. One is awe, and one is curiosity. You know, the, I, I, I wonder. I wonder if, I wonder why, I wonder how. Um, so I wanna, I wanna talk first about the fact that it's been a hard week. It's been a hard week for a lot of people. I was particularly aware this week that um, the conversations, the comments in the media about the shooter perhaps being transgender is very dangerous for people I know and love. The worship service at my home congregation you know, in Greater Nashville last week was about being transgender in Tennessee right now. And you know, my thought was, oh, I hope this doesn't make my congregation or the guest speaker who was there a target. Fortunately, we're a tiny congregation and probably nobody saw that on our website and it's probably okay, but I was very fearful on Tuesday. And then there's all the public statements. Somehow everybody felt they had to say something in the first few hours, right, after something like this happens. And I've decided this week, I'm taking offense at the word senseless. Because people say when there's, a, you know, when there's a big tragedy, they want to say this was senseless. This feels horrible because it's senseless. I don't think this was really senseless. This makes sense given the world we have created. This makes sense given the laws we do and do not have. This makes sense in the way we have and have not attended to mental health, to stress and our children, to our young adults, this makes sense. I don't want it to be, I don't want to live in a world where this makes sense, but we do live in this world. The other thing 
This is just a soapbox. I'm just going to stand on it. There, there, people have, um, there's a tendency, and this is where it gets very dangerous for transgender people sometimes, or people with mental health problems, or whatever. There is a tendency when something like this happens to look for uniquely individual reasons why this might have happened. And when an individual does something, there always are some of those things. But we are all connected. We are not separate human beings. And there are, again, this individual's behavior makes sense in the context of all sorts of wider cultural and social and legal circumstances that we all live in. So it's not senseless. We are, we are having various kinds of legal and mental health um, crises. We have an epidemic of mass shootings. You know, I became aware this week that I live in a country where there have been more mass shootings in the year 2023, which is just barely three months old now. There have been more mass shootings than there have been days this year. So this has, been a, this has been a really hard week. And I'm finding it hard to be hopeful. There's a little bit of hope for me in the fact that this is not, in fact, senseless. We are not, in fact, powerless. None of us could have stopped Monday from being what it was. And it happened. And it is awful. It was awful. The reasons why it happened that we don't, and, 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 and not knowing exactly what they all were. All of that is awful. And so, what do you do then? And I, I, want, I want to say first that there is, um, there needs to be attention paid to taking care of ourselves and each other on a real concrete, every day we are human beings sitting together in a room kind of way. So I think we together and individually need to just go slowly right now. I, I've been processing tons of emotion this week. Just, yeah, extra walks, you know, <laughs> extra loud music, extra, you know, but so think about slowing down and if maybe slowing down just in all parts of your life might feel um, helpful. Rest a lot, move as much as you need to, eat well, find some compassion or make room in your life for compassion for yourself and for others. Feel your feelings. That's, I, I, you, I, you've, many of you have probably heard me say feelings are a little bit hard for me. I'm, I'm better at thinking things. Um, so, but feeling things, um, actually really, really helpful. So just suggestions. Um, see if you can identify what it is you're feeling and see if you can locate it in your body and see what it feels like. You know, like does, where does stress sit and what does it, and that, you know, what does it feel like? Does it, is it a tingly or a tightness or a, um, an emptiness or a, you know, whatever. Um, locate it and also Know that our feelings, like our thoughts, are not who we are. They're not our only reality. They will pass. They always do. 
So remember all of that. And that's, that's our feelings and our thoughts, both. They are, they are not who we are, they don't determine us. Um, but if we can watch them come and go, they have less power. Um, and we're able to use them more skillfully. So um, I'm going to, you know, given, given that sort of take good care of yourself <laughs> advice. Um, oh, and I, I want to say too, you might want to do something, you know, in the, in the face of stress and overwhelm and this horrible thing happened. And you might want to do something or you might not want to. I knew lots of people in Nashville who went downtown for rallies, who showed up for things. Maybe some of you did the same thing. Um, I needed to not um, because I get overwhelmed with how do I find parking and there's too many people around and I don't know how long is this going to go on. And I needed, I, I needed to be more alone than usual this week. So find what works for you and be with your community. Be connected however works for you and be alone with yourself, however works for you. So this is, when hope fails, you fall back on all the really basic stuff. Get enough sleep, eat well, be gentle, be gentle. So, but, as, as people of faith, then what do we do with the fact that awful things have happened, that awful things will continue happening? And I wonder, if wonder can be a way back to a place where we can find hope again. So wonder, the word wonder, often is associated with a sense of awe. And it occurred to me, oh, awe and awful. <laughs> they're, they're the same word. They're the same root. I always look at Kitty because she's another etymology person. <laughs> if I like have forgotten to look something up, she can do it for me on the spot often. Um, but awe and awful, and they, they have a, the, the root of those words, the really old roots actually have to do with dread and terror, which makes sense when we say awful. It makes a little less sense when we're talking of awe in the sense, the context of wonder. And where I go with that is um, both our first and our seventh principles, oddly enough. There is this um, a taking seriously that we are individuals of great dignity and worth and that every other individual <laughs> is of worth and dignity. And you know, our UU principles don't say, as long as they follow all the rules and the laws and don't do anything awful. It just says, everyone has worth and dignity. The, um, in the biblical tradition, you have the Psalms, maybe King David, maybe not, but Psalm, in Psalm 139 it says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I grew up with that, um, that psalm being used sometimes um, at various points in my life and in my, my community life as a, you know, in, um, in church. Um, but, you know, this, this um, 
conviction that we are made by what is holy, whatever God, you know, it's God in the, in the Judaic and Christian traditions. Um, but we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we are amazing, we are miracles, we are also connected to everything else. There is this sense of being um, part of what is, of everything that is. Um, and that's, that's our seventh principle, that everything is connected. I always come back to both of those. So I wonder when something awful happens, how do we sustain that, that awe, recognize that the, the terror and the dread of who we are and how we sometimes live together or fail to live well together, and the wonder that is everything that is. The, the, um, the miraculousness, the, the holiness, the sanctity of everything that is. And for me, um, there, are, there is just the fact that spiritual practices that might be grouped together as grounding, and you run into that in a lot of mindfulness practice-based traditions, um, but also in all sorts of pretty, pretty much every religious tradition. You know, we sit and, and meditate together. That's, that is a way of coming back to our center. We, we sometimes say, breathe, breathe deeply, settle yourself, be still. Um, that's grounding. Working with your breath can be very grounding. Um, a lot of this are, what, if, you, if you study stress and how to deal with stress, you run into all of these practices again. These are, these are grounding. They call us back to our center, to who we are. Um, there's, yeah, yeah you, you know, I, I don't need to preach a sermon on all these grounding practices, or maybe I do, but that's another day. Um, those things all call us back to who we are and how we are connected, and call us back if we, if we allow ourselves to really sit with that. It calls us back to realizing that you and you and you and you also are connected to everything, connected to me, connected to all that is holy, that your life is also holy. And then I get curious. And you see this in a lot, a lot of the, the news the reporting that I've been complaining about. Some of that, you could, you could interpret that as the human curiosity about what is here. Why do people do what they do? Um, and it's a, I think it's a, it's a tricky thing to hold worth and dignity and curiosity at the same time. And I think we're called to do that. And a lot of that means we, sometimes our curiosity doesn't find answers. We don't get to know why. We don't know why. We have to hold the, we have to hold the wonder there because it's not our place. We don't need to pass judgment on everybody and whether or not what they have done makes sense. I think we are called to remember that everyone is holy, that every life is holy and has worth and dignity and is unknowable to many of the other lives to which it is connected. And this is really, 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 really hard. <laughs> it is hard to do. I read a book recently, which I really liked. And it's written by somebody who is, um, 
black, a black American woman. Um, I don't know if she identifies as a theologian or not. It was a very theological book. She believes in God. She believes in the Christian story. But she says a lot of things that I find really helpful. And that she starts with wonder. She starts, she's, and she starts with her own body and her own family relationships and her body with her father and her body with her grandmother and how they loved and nurtured her and her siblings. And um, she talks about awe as an exercise, awe and wonder being practices of beholding what is beautiful. And it, that includes the capacity to be in awe of humanity. So this isn't just about pretty sunsets or majestic mountains or whatever, or, or the stars. This is about humanity. She, and she tells a, a really wonderful story about her father as a young man stumbling into, and this is, they lived in Pittsburgh, I think, well, I know she's from Pittsburgh. I think he was in Pittsburgh, too, at the time. But, you know, a teenager, um, kind of inclined to get into trouble, and, and he stumbles somehow into a dance studio, and they give him free lessons. And he finds himself one day leaping, and he makes this leap that everybody in the room is like, you know, it was this moment where he realized that he had a grace. Everybody else could see it too. There was grace and there was lift and there was, it was an amazing thing. And she says, years later, having heard this story, she says, it's not arrogant to wow yourself every once in a while. It's not arrogance, it's just paying attention. So there, there is something, in, or many somethings in all of us, I think, that every now and then, like just, oh my God. And, and you might be the only one who notices, or you might not notice, but your neighbor might, you know? But that, that is wonder, that is curiosity. What is it that makes us individual and unique and awesome? Um, and then she goes, she moves from that sort of sense of recognizing and being, needing to be able to recognize our own um, wow factor, whatever that is. She moves to, and, and this, to be able to marvel at the face of our neighbor with the same awe we have for the mountaintop, the sunlight refracting, this manner of vision is what will keep us from destroying each other. So she moves to that. We need, we need to see this in each other as well. And that wonder requires that we remember that we're connected to everything. I should tell you, oh, this author's name is Cole Arthur Riley. And the book is titled, This Here Flesh, Spirituality, Liberation, and the Stories That Make Us. And I recommend it. Um, but trigger warning, it is centered on the Christian story. Although I didn't realize that till the second chapter. So, you know, it's, it, she's not heavy handed with the Christian story. She, and she talks about how beholding, really seeing requires courage. It requires courage. And so she moves, 
The, the book as a whole is about liberation. What frees us? What saves us? What stories? And in the, the book overall, there's, um, there's this framework of her within the location of her family stories and, and, and her interactions with important relatives and how that moves toward liberation and freedom. But her chapters are like this. And these aren't all the chapter titles, but the, the chapter titles and the subjects, she moves from wonder to fear to lament to rage and holy anger to justice and repair and rest and joy and then liberation. This is a big project. This is all of life. And she says, so there is wonder. And there, there are small boys who look like they're up to no good ever, not able, you know, maybe we'll take a chance and let them come to the dance class, who leap and everyone experiences magic. There is that in the world. And there is real fear. There is real fear, and, and there is fear especially for people who wear labels, who have been given, been handed, labels that put them outside the circles of privilege in our culture. So if you're black, or you are LGBTQIA, anywhere in there, in that, um, or you think differently than other people. There are so, I'm, I'm, I'm just more, the older I get, the more and more and more aware I am that although we are all human and we share kinship and we, we are definitely connected to each other, we are also, there are so many different ways of being human. So you know, there's so many different bodies and there's so many different genders. There's, um, there's so many different brains and different ways brains work and there's so many different experiences that affect how the brains and the bodies work and it is really fearful and wonderful <laughs> how all of this goes into making an individual and to influencing any given community. So there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear involved in um, being human and I like Riley's advice. She says, find those who tell you do not be afraid. And she notes that do not be afraid is a real common, a lot of religious traditions have some version of that, um, that phrase, that uh, um, advice in, in the, the Jewish and Christian scriptures. You know, angels appear and say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, you know, fear not. Over and over and over again. She says, so find those who will tell you do not be afraid, yet stay close enough to tremble with you. That is love. So she's, she's saying, yes, don't be afraid, be not afraid. That's, that's all well and good, and you need to be reminded of that. We shouldn't be driven by fear. But we are going to be afraid, and we need to have people close to us. And this is what love looks like, people who will remind us not to be afraid and recognize that we are afraid sometimes. So fear is usually, I think, about that is, that is survival and safety. Lament, and lament is something I'm, I'm saying this myself. I haven't read it anywhere. I don't know if it'll stand up. I think white American culture is uniquely bad at lament. Lament is complaint 
and sorrow and grief that is loud and um, obnoxious perhaps, that does not relent, is not talked out of um, its sorrow and sadness and surety that this is awful into, well, it could have been worse, or, it could, you know, all the ways we tend to try to do that. We are reassured when somebody says, oh, well, I'm okay because, you know, whatever else I have that is good. Um, Lament says, no, this is not okay. This is whatever this is. And I think um, black churches in America are, are very good at lament in a way that white folks tend just not to be. And we're a little scared of it sometimes. Um, despair, though, is a different thing from lament, Riley says. Despair is lament emptied out of hope. So we kind of come back to hope here. Lament is, is hopeful because it insists that this ought not to be. And that insistence that this is not right, that this is not who I was supposed to be, this is not how, in the, you know, in the biblical tradition, this is not what God promised to do. God promised to take care of us and look, we're in exile. This is not okay. This is not okay. Um, but that insistence that this is not okay also strongly claims the possibility that something better can and should exist. So um, Riley says, and I'm sorry I'm quoting from her a lot, I just love the way she puts things. People whose faiths are predicated on happiness make for dangerous friends and woefully disconnected fellow humans. I really like that. If, if being faithful somehow requires being happy, it's disconnected from reality let alone you know, being disconnected from other people. But if you've ever been upset or bereaved and people try to respond to you by saying it could have been worse or at least they're in a better place or whatever, you may know how really not helpful that can be. So happiness is not, happiness is not what liberation is about. And keeping space for lament paradoxically, maybe, um, also holds room for hope, which this week I found kind of helpful to think about because I didn't feel a whole lot of hope this week. And then we move to rage and anger, holy, holy anger, Riley calls it sometimes, which is actually a force for liberation. She says apathy is giving up. Apathy is the lack of hope. Anger and rage, they're on the move. They are moving toward. And that can be a force in moving toward connection, repair of relationships. It is, you know, if you make me furiously angry, and I don't just swallow that and walk away, but I express that, we have a possibility of repairing, of, 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 of understanding each other better of being in community and in relationship, of acknowledging that we are connected as human beings. And she does have, just so you know, there's a little, there is a section in the book about distinguishing between rage and hatred that moves into, I mean, sorry, anger that moves into hatred. It is rage 
and um, this insistence that something is not right and must change, that is a different thing than anger that becomes hatred, which is just out to destroy. Um, it, rage and anger is holy when it calls for everyone's liberation. So then we move into the realm of justice. And uh, she quotes bell hooks, the um, black theorist, who said, justice is different from violence and retribution. It requires complex accounting. And I'll just note as an aside, there's a lot about our justice system that is not complex enough, that doesn't allow for that complex accounting to happen. Um, so justice is ultimately founded on a recognition of every human being as holy. And she, and she sounds a whole lot like a UU. She's not a UU. I don't. Um, but she says, we cannot trust a society that makes judgments on the morality of a person without taking responsibility for how its own morality has instigated the conditions that call for such desperate decision making. This is a society that will very rarely demand justice in favor of the desperate, but will always demand it in favor of the judge, the powerful. In the company of these tainted moral authorities, the most significant wrong will never be the one that caused all the others. This is a world that demonizes those who transgress the system, but has great sympathy for the system itself. She says that, that real justice, now I'm quoting, doesn't, choo doesn't choose whose dignity is superior. It upholds the dignity of all those involved, no matter whom it offends or what it costs. Even when demanding retribution, justice does not demean the offender's dignity, it affirms it. It communicates that what has been done is not what the offender was made for. They too were made for beauty. In justice, everyone becomes more human. Everyone bears the image of the divine. Justice does not ask us to choose. And that's a really strenuous discipline to be invited into in the face of something like a shooting. And I suppose I'm standing here this morning saying that for me to live in a world where I can find my way back to hope after this terrible week that has been, I need to be willing to entertain an understanding of justice that sees people that sees all of existence as holy and imbued with the sacred and worthy of our care and our compassion and as complicated, complicated, um, so complicated, I can't possibly understand. Justice making will sometimes require careful accounting to be done in small circles. You know, we may not always be able to get a full account of everything and what needs to happen. And um, we also don't have a culture that has built systems that are 
where people, we don't have a real democracy. I think you've heard me say that before. I think democracy is not working right now. <laughs> so we don't trust the justice system, for instance. I do think, my hope, I, do I am starting to have hope. I do have hope that we could create better systems of, of democracy, that we could create a justice system that we could trust. Um, but it needs to be one in which everyone becomes more human. And there are some things happening. There are police departments around the country, including, I think it, Nashville's trying. I don't, I don't know for sure whether they're accomplishing it or not. But trying to factor mental illness into first responders and how they respond to things. Um, to, to bring other resources to bear than a person with a gun showing up to calm things down. Because as we all know, sometimes that doesn't calm anything. But I, I, want, I want a justice that doesn't ask me to choose who's worth paying attention to. That doesn't ask me not to wonder why somebody does this, beyond the fact of the availability of weapons. Because I also, you know, not everybody who has guns takes them to schools and starts shooting people. So I have, a, I have a lot of questions. This is why my sermon's about wonder. I wonder a lot of things this week. And I suppose I'm, I would encourage you to lean into what you wonder, too. And especially pay attention to the, the questions that don't have answers because, well, to get really easy and flip about it, it's complicated. Life is complicated. People are complicated. Our histories, our stories, what, we, what has formed us individually and as groups is complicated. And um, we need to learn how to be with each other and how to be with ourselves in ways that allow us to think about those things and make choices that affirm everyone's worth and dignity and that help people who aren't able to do that to have places that are safe, to have resources. I don't, I don't have a lot of answers. But I do think that when hope fails, what, I, what I've just talked myself into, when hope fails, stepping back to wonder what has happened, what else is there to this story, is a way perhaps to find hope again and also to be clearer about what responses are helpful. Um, much of what has been in, you know, reported is not particularly helpful. And yet people are trying, people are struggling to figure out what happened. Um, some things, the really awful things, the things that are full of awe and dread and terror, we may not ever fully be able to explain. And that's hard. That is hard. And that is life. That is life. I mean, 
we don't understand everything about the universe. We understand a lot. And so, um, yeah, there could be a whole other sermon on humility going on here. Um, but we're not doing that one today either. So go gently. Go gently with yourselves. Go gently with everyone around you. And know that, and this is, this is for always, you know, um, whoever shows up in your space, you don't know where they have come from. And you don't know what they're dealing with. And other people don't know this about me either when I show up or about you. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we are, we are holy. And our dignity is worth protecting. And this is why lament and rage are also important. We live in a culture that would rather we just all be happy. But when you bump into the rage and the lament, whether it's in yourself or in somebody else, slow down. Slow down and pay attention to it. It's got important messages for us. And then go take a nap and take a walk and eat well and love the people around you. And try to remember that everybody, everybody has worth and dignity. It is, it's our first principle for a reason. So, this is a hard time to live into that one. Bless you all in your efforts to do that. Thank you.